the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is a delight to bring to the show a new friend of mine and someone who's just doing wonderful work in our state legislature at the House of Representatives. He is the new chairman of the House Republican Committee. He is Kwong Nguyen, and he is sponsoring some really important uh, legislation uh, as Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln would have put it, uh, legislation that opens our eyes to the signs of the times and makes common cause for a common object. Uh, Representative Wynn, thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mr. Lipson. I really appreciate it. And uh, we are becoming friends quite quickly, sir. Yes, we are. Please call me Seth. You're the, you, you get a title. I'm just Seth. Um, tell the audience. For, okay. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. First time guests. I always like doing this. Tell the audience. You have a wonderfully interesting story, an impressive story. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, autobiography, any way you want to take it. And, um, and then we'll get into this piece of legislation that uh, is so fascinating to me. Yes, sir. I uh, I was a, a war refugee uh, at the end of the Vietnam War. I uh, was able to leave the country uh, about six days before the fall of Saigon. Uh, came over here, uh, educate myself. Um, uh, you know, uh, got a couple of scholarships to go to the university and got my degree. Uh, worked in uh, aerospace engineering for uh, a few years and uh, just all kinds of different work. I, I also taught at Cal State Long Beach as well. And for some reason, I decided to put my head in a microwave oven and push it by uh, getting elected to the House of Representatives. Um, so uh, this is my uh, second term. Got reelected. Um, somehow I won the first time. I, I, I'm still questioning to why people voted me the first time around, <laughs> other than the fact that I'm just an honest guy and tell people exactly what I do and what I don't do. Um, so uh, this is also my third year in the judiciary, and my first year is the House Judiciary Chairman. So that's the that's the quick rundown. Fantastic! It reminds me of something William Buckley, a great conservative scholar, once said. He ran for mayor of New York in 1965, and someone, a reporter, asked him what his first act would be if he were elected. He said, "Demand a recount." <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. He was not elected. Well, we're glad that you are there, and we're glad that you. Uh, rolled up your sleeves and um, are helping make our state and our country a better place for your having come here. Tragedy, what happened to your country, but I know you're working to make sure you don't lose a second one, this one. So thank you for doing that. We definitely don't want you and your children and your grandchildren to go through the same identical process that I did. Well, God bless you uh, for making sure and doing your best to make sure that doesn't happen, which isn't to say we don't have depredations and threats along the way, which brings us to our present uh, concern. You are sponsoring something known as House Bill 2167. House Bill 2167. This audience is very familiar with the fentanyl and drug crisis in Arizona and the country. Tell us about your legislation. Yeah, so, so you know, we've known about the, the fentanyl crisis for a few years now, and, uh, you know, the, the death rate is just climbing like crazy. So, uh, in 2021, I think we ended the year with 97,000 Americans killed 
Now, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the Vietnam War. So over 20 years, you got uh, 58,425 uh, on, on, you know, inscribed on the black wall. And here you are in one year, you got 97,000 Americans with the border wide open. And so uh, that became quite evident for me that I needed to do something about it until I showed up at work here one day and I was in the parking lot and my good friend Josie Dunn uh, from Prescott, uh, Arizona, called me and said, my daughter Ashley died yesterday. Oh, no. And that was in May of 21. Oh, no. And I have to tell you that uh, I canceled every meeting and I spent two hours in the parking lot talking to her and, and hearing a mom crying yeah. on the phone for the most part. And so I immediately contacted the uh, Yavapai County attorney, Sheila Polk, uh-huh. and started working with her because I knew she drafted a bill earlier that, that did not go through the, uh, <clears throat> uh, didn't make it through the, the House of Representatives. So I talked to her uh, in 21. We worked out a bill. We introduced it last year, and uh, a couple of Republicans decided not to be on it because of, um, you know, the so-called unconstitutional, you know, that, that phrase that being used a lot lately. Um, but uh, but my, my feeling is that I, I need to concentrate on policy and allow the rules committee to make the determination whether it's unconstitutional or not. Um, so I uh, take the same approach this year. Um, we modified it quite quite a lot, and you and I had a mutual friend who helped me along the way as well. And, mm-hmm. You know, we had a three-way phone call the other night, and I thought it was very helpful. Yeah. Um, so I think the bill is pretty solid. Um, it's designed not to prosecute users or even dealers, but what it does is it'll prosecute and, uh, and uh, people who actually sell the drugs Traffic. And actually connected to, yeah, traffic the drug, sell it. Actually, we're, we're going to go to sell. We have to be specific to the language and actually connect it to a death. Mm-hmm. Then minimum sentencing is 10 years. Uh, presumption is 15, and I believe maximum could be as much as 25. Well, it's it's an important message to send. The law is a teacher, and what we tolerate and what we don't tolerate is what our society needs to learn. We need to be teaching that we will not tolerate any more of these kinds of depredations. You know, you put your finger on it when you talked about that Vietnam Wall. I talk about it often myself, sir. You add the rest of the drug deaths in this country, and you get about two walls a year. We're building about two walls a year, or we could be, if we don't do the kinds of things you're rolling up your sleeves to do. Why would anyone think this is unconstitutional? Well, you know, (laughs) it's kind of funny because we have legislative council draft the bill, uh, and and uh, legislative councils are full of lawyers. Yes, and, uh, exactly. And and so and so we. I, I do my job as a as a, as a policy maker, um, and I would allow other people to deal with the the constitutionality of a law. Sure. And usually they'll come right to me and said, um, you know, Kwong, you really can't do this stuff because it is unconstitutional. Well, then set me down, and explain to me why it's unconstitutional. And so they do that. They do a pretty good job at it. This particular case, the bill is on the second year, actually third year before yeah. I came to office, and I continue to work with 
uh, lawyers and judges and prosecutors to make sure that uh, I'm not doing anything that is outside of the law. And why? the question is, why would anybody fight against someone who's fighting against this crisis? Right. They are dealers uh, of death. This is what we are going after, dealers of death. Traffickers in death. Just yesterday, I found it interesting, in New York there was a case, it turned out to be a federal case, of a man who um, was sentenced, uh, was found guilty uh, for trafficking in drugs, cocaine with fentanyl, killed three people in Manhattan last year, or a year before, and uh, he's facing 25 years to life. Uh, this was uh, this was on a law and piece of legislation at the federal level um, that seems to have no constitutional qualms. I'd like Arizona to be able to use some of those tools. That's, I gather, why you're doing this. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's confusing to me is, uh, you know, I had some conversation today with the uh, opposing side, and they said, well, uh, this is not knowingly... Um, uh, there's no intent to kill here. Yeah. But my argument with that is very simple. If if you know 97,000 people died last year, you ought to be able to uh, have some some kind of a connection that says, oh, wait a minute, maybe what I'm selling is killing, you know, killing humanity here. Yeah. And if you can't make that connection and you continue to sell it, you know, it's sort of like alcohol, right? I was um, just going to say, I'm sure drunk drivers don't intend to kill either, but we don't seem to have qualms about prosecuting them to the hilt to stop it. Exactly. Well, and, and on top of that, alcohol is a legal product. Yeah, that's a big difference, um, too. Yeah. Yeah, and here's a product that is declared to be illegal. Yeah. Um, and the number one killer of young then, adults. It's the number right. one killer of young adults. And you don't need, none of us need, any more of these moms showing up in parking lots with tears. Um, and, and Seth, i got to tell you, if, if this is going to deter five dealers in the state of Arizona from getting into the business, maybe we'll save a couple of lives, maybe two funerals left. To me, that's good enough. To me, that would be great. You never know. You save one life, you save the world, the Talmud says. Uh, you never Absolutely. know. You never know. Well, Representative, when we are on your side, uh, people, folks in the audience, uh, write to wor- uh, or email Representative Wynn. They make it really easy to email them at azledge.gov. My name is Liebson, so I'm conscientious about spelling people's last names, Kwong, so I'll give it out to the audience. N-G-U-Y-E-N is how he spells his last name. N-G-U-Y-E-N. Email him. Let him know you're supporting him on this, as I said, um, as Lincoln put it, uh, a piece of legislation that makes common cause for a common object that will save more lives. And shame on those who would oppose this or look for reasons to oppose it. Sir, I salute you and thank you. Thank you. You betcha. God I thank you for having me on. God bless. God bless you. I hope it'll be a down payment and the first of many returns. Thanks for doing what you're doing, thank, sir. Thank you, sir. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You know, a recession is falling stock markets, a drop in income and consumer spending, rise in unemployment and increased business failures. Joe Biden won't admit it. He'll redefine it. But the stock market has fallen, with economists predicting a lot more turmoil. Income declined last year because of inflation. Real estate values are dropping. 
retailers are declaring bankruptcy and major companies are laying off thousands. Regardless of what Biden says, we're in a recession. It's likely going to get worse before it gets better, which is why I recommend calling our friends at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your money with the stability of gold with the guys that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already trust. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guaranteeing against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of recession. Get your hedge against all of this by talking with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Uh, yes, as I was mentioning at the top of the last hour, I uh, was on the Josh Hammer Newsweek podcast, and we covered a lot of territory this week. Uh, you can get it at Apple or Spotify or just even on the web by going to Newsweek Podcast. It's the one with Josh Hammer. And uh, talked a lot about um, – we did the drug issue like uh, we were just talking about with Representative Wynn and spent some time on that, but – he asked me a lot about the conservative movement and maybe thought it would share some of that with you. Uh, he started by asking me about the Claremont Institute and my fellowship there and what the Claremont Institute's contribution to conservatism is. And here's a little segment from that. One of the things that I think distinguishes their outlook and approach is I was, I was reading an interesting op-ed from the Wall Street Journal about a year ago. I had reason to revisit it. Um, It was written by Joseph Epstein about modern conservatism, and he mentioned the four four people most important, and it was, uh, I don't know if I'll get them all, John Stuart Mill, uh, I think John Locke, uh, Frederick Hayek, there's one other I'm forgetting, and it dawned on me, you know, all of these are smart people, Uh, we've all read them, none of them are American, uh, interestingly enough, and I think what the Claremont Institute has done perhaps the only, if not the best job at, is showing that there is an American idea that should inform and impel conservatism. And it starts, obviously, with our founding, and it starts with Jefferson and Madison. It starts with um, the stuff Harry Jaffa wrote so well about, the wedding of uh, individual liberty to the notion of equality, that you You can't have one without the other. If you have liberty without equality, you have libertarianism, if not libertinism. If you have equality without liberty, you have perverted notions that lead you to socialism. And to separate the notions of liberty and equality found in our founding documents, particularly uh, some of the early state founding documents in the Declaration of Independence, is to uh, have a staircase um, that separates the upstairs and downstairs nature of it. Uh, so I, I, I think what Claremont has done the best job of is showing that there is an American idea. And not only is there an idea, but it is worth saving. Um, perhaps the best description I would end on pursuing any other questions you want is something a student of Walter Burns and both Walter Burns and Harry Jaffa once said, a man named Dennis Teddy. I don't know if you know him. Uh, He did uh, undergraduate with Walter Burns and graduate school with Jaffa. And he said, until I met Walter Burns, I didn't know that an intellectual could love America. And until I met Harry Jaffa, I couldn't understand why. 
<laughs> well. So I think it's the deep delve into what our founding documents mean in creating what Jefferson called uh, the best hope of the world and what Abraham Lincoln called the last best hope of the world. No, indeed he did. Indeed he did. And Lincoln is a is, is a figure who was oft quoted on this show. His birthday is coming off on February 12th. That also happens to be my own birthday, which is no small source of pride for myself and always has been oh, for, for, for all of Better my... than what I get. <laughs> <laughs> who, who's, whose birthday were you born on? I, I get Brad Pitt. But it does explain all the confusion between the two of us. <laughs> oh, man. Now, that is quite funny. Quick aside, actually. I happen to think Brad Pitt is an underrated actor. People tend to think of him for his for his dashingly good looks and all of that. I actually think the man can act quite well. But, you know, I suppose that's neither here nor there for, for – for pre- I, I can do culture with you all day long, pop culture, if you want, because I agree with you. There's another area of agreement. He is an underrated actor. There's nothing he can't do. No, he really is, actually. I mean, you can go back to, to, to the 1990s. He's, he's, yeah. just, he's just, a very, just a very talented man. Um, but, you know, Seth, where you left off your answer is actually exactly a perfect segue to where I wanted to go next because, you know, you and I, you know, you were mentioning there Jefferson, Madison. We just discussed Lincoln and Lincoln's palpable, absolutely palpable admiration for the American founding, his famous kind of phrasing the declaration as the electric cord that binds all the generations and his kind of recourse to first American principles in in a, in a time of, of ultimate crisis when the, the nation most needed it to pursue to pursue unity and ultimately to preserve the union itself. One question that I find myself struggling with all the time, and it's a question that I like to ask some of our guests on this show, because this show, one, one of the late motifs of it is kind of dedicated to the so-called New Right movement that has kind of spruced up the past few years and the direction of conservatism and all of that. And one of the questions that I always come back to is, you know, is the term conservative actually apropos for where we have to be if the goal which I think the, the goal probably is, is to restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. Put another way, I guess, over 100 years, well into the, the post-Woodrow Wilson world of progressivism and the administrative state and all this stuff that all of our Claremont folks wax poetic so eloquently about, is a disposition of conservatism sufficient or is kind of the Chris Rufo kind of mentality of counter-revolution um, you know, dare I say that kind of Leninist adjacent term? Is that actually more appropriate for where we are right now? Hold it right there, Bill. I want to I want to let that answer run on the on the other side of the break that's coming up, so it gives uh, my full uh, my full answer uh, un, unedited, uninterrupted. I um I I will confess that um, that whenever I hear uh, the notion uh, or talk of counter revolution. I always want to make sure people understand that as an intellectual revolution that's required here, um, that Chris Rufo stands for. Um, it, 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 it is not a physical revolution. It's an intellectual revolution. Revolution means really turning back to basics, turning back to, you know, the original or evolution, re evolution. That's what it's about. I'll give you my answer or we'll play my answer from the podcast when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. I was privileged to, uh, as I was mentioning, be on Josh Hammer's Newsweek podcast. We were having a conversation about conservatism and Several of you thought I should share it with the audience just in case you don't access the podcast or can't. 
But uh, it's available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can get it on the web, just Newsweek, Josh Hammer Podcast. But uh, he's asking me about which version of conservatism and what view of the conservative movement do I take? And uh, here we'll start with my answer. Yeah, it's a great question, and I don't know, and maybe there's even a third road I'd feel more comfortable with uh, with the phraseology of something like Americanism, uh, which presupposes that there's something about America worth preserving or conserving. The word conservative has always had a tough time defining itself. I always point out perhaps the most famous conservative uh, author, writer, intellect in our lifetime, certainly in the 20th century was William Buckley. He never wrote a book on it. Uh, He wrote a book on liberalism, but he never wrote a book on conservatism because he said it was too difficult. Now, he and Charles Kessler put some essays together a couple times in a book that tried to show the various various, uh, silos of conservatism, if you will. But I think it's too often a, um, a vessel people pour their own thoughts into from various strands or avenues, whether it's the libertarian version of it or whether it's the neoconservative or the Strauss, you you know all this, you know all these different strands. So it's hard to say conservatism is its own one thing. Um, And I don't know if, if, if the Rufo definition gets us there either. I suppose it's about the kind of country we want to live in and the kind of people We want to live in. If you go back to Aristotle's book on politics, right, he says in the first, um, really, I think it's the first page, it's certainly the first chapter, that when man comes together to form a community, there are two institutions he forms. One is the family and one is the state or the polis. And then he says something interesting, which creates a lot of debate as to which is primary, which comes first. And he makes the point that the state actually should presuppose the family, the state should come first, the Polish should come first, because you want to have, if the family is important, you want to have the kind of structure around it in which it can thrive. You want to make sure that if you are going to design, uh, you know, an arm, it has to be considered as part of a body. And what's the body going to do with the arm? So I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, Josh, or if I'm answering it the way you want, feel free to push me on it. But it seems to me that having abandoned those kinds of notions, the kind of community we want to live in, the kind of people we want to be, um, you know, we have to uh, take a step back and maybe start thinking about what these words mean. What does conservative mean? What are we trying to conserve? What do civil liberties mean? They mean liberties for a civil people. Are we a civil people? Are our institutions intact? Uh, Are our families intact? My callers always remind me of the very well-known and well-trodden quote of John Adams, that our Constitution was meant for a moral people and inadequate for anything else. And uh, I don't know how serious we take our Constitution anymore, and I don't know how seriously moral we are. Right. So I, I, I like the phrase Americanism a lot. I mean, I definitely have referred to myself as an Americanist. I refer to kind of the deplorables, the the country class, and the late great Angelo Cotevilla's famous bifurcation between the ruling class and the country class. I refer to the country class as the Americanist half of, of the country. And I, I like that phrase a lot. I, I, I guess the question then is kind of more of the, of the means that are necessary to kind of get us yeah. back 
to Americanism. And, you know, I, I, I go back a little bit, then I just think about all the the various kind of present symptoms of our current morass, whether it is critical race theory indoctrination or the gender ideology garbage that is that is you know, uh, wreaking its way through the country like a horrible conflagration that our societal forces are seemingly incapable of putting out there. And one thing that I do come back to, and this is kind of also in kind of the the mode of kind of Claremont's kind of uh, Hadley-Archie style of of analysis, one thing that I come back to is is the the Ralph Lerner formulation of kind of constitutional actors as being Republican schoolmasters. And the kind of broader point that I'm getting at here, which is I think a key insight of this kind of broader new right phenomenon, is the idea here that law is not just responsive but can also be a teacher. And it's kind of getting at a broader just approach to politics that is a little kind of less resistant to try to impose some idea of orthodoxies. And, you know, this has been a big theme in my writings, my podcasting in, in recent years. It's kind of the whole national conservatism movement. Neutrality is not an option. You have to you, you have to choose. You know, you have to choose whether you're prioritizing consumption or production when it comes to kind of trade policy, for instance. We discussed that on a recent episode on this show with, with the great Steve Cortez. So, you know, Seth, I guess the question then for you is – um, kind of just speaking here about this kind of broader, kind of slightly more nationalist, populist, kind of uh, neutrality, skeptical, new right phenomenon. Do you find yourself optimistic about all these kind of intellectual juices flowing in the past few years of, of the new right, so to speak, kind of looking forward for the future of uh, conservatism and the Republican Party? Because, I, I, you know, I imagine being there in Arizona like you are of all states, you've definitely seen kind of two sides to this coin. So I'll answer that in full when we come right back. I'm so jealous of his voice. He's got a great radio voice, Josh, and a great brain. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Thank you, Bill. Uh Part of the uh, interview I was doing with uh, Josh Hammer, he was interviewing me on his podcast. He was just asking me um, if I was optimistic about the new right and the conservative movement and where I stood on a thesis of a University of Chicago professor named Ralph Lerner about the role of education and conservatism. And here was what I did my best to answer with. Um, I see flickers. Let me take two minutes and unload a lot on that question, if I can. Please do. If anyone takes one statistic from this podcast home, or seriously or to heart, it is this. The National Assessment of Education Progress, known as the Nation's Report Card, it's our best test of what our elementary and secondary students know, um, has that 50%, fully half of high school seniors get an F, fail, in American history, 50%. That means 50% of our 17 and 18-year-olds do not know the story or the history of America. That is to say, right at the age of becoming eligible to vote, perhaps getting their first job, perhaps joining the military, perhaps going to college. We spend a lot of time, obviously, speaking about a very huge problem, illegal immigration, But when you think about that statistic, that half of our 18 and 17-year-olds don't know this history, we are making aliens of our own citizens here and sending them into a world, sending them into a country they don't recognize. We used to think that when college students would come home 
on spring break or Christmas break and talk about, you know, French philosophers their parents had never heard of and Marxist notions that uh, might have been offensive or might have been alien to their parents or grandparents. We used to say, well, that's college. They'll graduate. They'll enter the real world and they'll be fine once they get their first paychecks. We were wrong about that. Turns out there was a tremendous lab leak. It came out of the ivory tower, probably far more toxic than anything that came out of the Wuhan virology lab. And it was this leak of Marxist thought that the kids did take with them out of high school, where they were taught America was a down market commodity, and out of college where they were taught that Marxism was a better view or worldview than freedom and democracy and liberty and capitalism. And so they, through the schools, through the education schools and through elementary and secondary education for the past, I don't know, generation and a half or so, uh, have changed this country uh, and have put that lab leak into our uh, environment that has not affected our lungs like Wuhan, but our brains. Uh, And I think that has made everything so bad, whereas we once thought our challenge was Hollywood and journalism, we awakened over the last decade to realize it's not just Hollywood, it's not just the major and mainstream media, it's now the NFL of all places, it's now the Department of Defense of all places. Things we used to think of, or Michael Barone once called hard America, they've infiltrated and infected all of that, so that a country that began with live free or die, a country that went to war for freedom and equality, singing as he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free, saw this virus that came to us in 2020 that did affect our lungs and said, we're going to go from live free or die and better, uh, better, better, better dead than red to let's roll up a country that said let's roll 20 years ago. Let's roll up under a couch. How did this happen to us, Josh? Uh, one of the things that gives me the flicker of hope is people did wake up. Some people did wake up seeing what was going on in their children's and grandchildren's curriculum and started doing the most important thing a citizen can do, which is run for school board and try and change it. Because I think that's where the change is. Claremont focuses on law students and graduate students and college students. But I think we have an ancillary, if not maybe even more important duty to start fixing our elementary and secondary system. I know that's a lot. I don't know if that was responsive, but that's where I'm at on flickers of hope. No, it's very helpful. It actually reminds me of a Bible quote that another previous guest on this show, Eric Erickson, likes to throw around quite a bit where he – I'm going to butcher the the exact quote verbatim, but – basically says, seek the welfare of your city, and there you shall find welfare, or there you shall find peace. Again, I, I can't remember the, the exact quote, the reference, of course, being to the exile of the, of the Jews to Babylon. And it's, it's, it's powerful. I mean, it's so often, it, it, that, that is where you have to start, is right there, kind of fixing your, your, your immediate environments, your immediate surroundings. And only then can we start to kind of think about kind of the, the national issues, let alone kind of the international or global issues, which is actually a perfect segue to where I want to take this conversation next. But we're going to take it to a quick break before then. So please do stay with nah, us. That's have- perfectly fine. That's enough of an appetizer. Josh Hammer's a great interviewer. He's a great mind, as I was saying. And, uh, See if we can get him on the show and reverse the tables on him and interview him. Uh, he's been on the show before. He has done an amazing job with Newsweek. Uh, they're just publishing stuff like uh, like never before, and uh, most of it 
think it's fair to say not all of it. Most of it is on our side. Uh, it's actually an opinion section that uh, probably tilts about uh, 60-40 conservative as opposed to an op-ed section that tips 90-10 in almost every other publication I can think of that isn't uh, 100 to 0 on the liberal or left side. Kudos to him. He's also, as I say, just a really, really great mind, uh, one of the great thinkers of the new right. And he lines, is aligned with you know what's called the national conservative movement. There's a lot of these different phrases going around. National conservatism is something that cropped up in the Trump era. And uh, again, you know, I'm I'm not too certain that any of these uh, predicates to the word conservatism get you everywhere, except for you know the people that you know maybe found these movements and have their own concept of it. It was in large part a defense of the notion of nationalism and nationalism not being a pejorative, not being a bad thing, as was said so often during the Trump administration. If nationalism, though, is a bad thing, then um, we have a real problem with Abraham Lincoln. Go read that Gettysburg Address or read anything he wrote. All right. I am Seth Leibson, and we will be right back. I refi for quite a bit now, and if you still have questions uh, about them and what they can do uh, with your investment money, they want you to call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. And put you in touch with any number of many satisfied customers who are happily investing and getting great returns with them. Think about your IRA. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Joe Biden economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's investyrefi.com. Or, again, give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Just really great guys. I know them very well. Steve Hayward, uh, maybe this is a good coda to what we were playing with Josh Hammer a little earlier. Steve Hayward over at Powerline, uh, he's also a creature of Claremont. Uh, he um, he excerpted a, uh, an essay he, uh, he liked by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis may have an out, uh, what's the word I want, an out uh, an outsized, an oversized uh, role on this show. He's just such an insightful writer, someone whose works in the 40s really and 50s really apply so, so greatly to our own times. Anyway, he was uh, he was excerpting a part of an essay of C.S. Lewis's um, on the Powerline blog from an essay of Lewis's called The Poison of Subjectivism. And it was so relevant to what we were talking about when we were opening the discussion on conservatism with a redounding to the notion of the laws of nature and nature's God, to the idea of natural law, to the idea of a morality, an overarching morality that supersedes uh, that uh, with an invisible hand, if you will, in a moral sense, 
controls uh, vicissitudes, geography, and subjectivism. And C.S. Lewis closes his essay this way, if good means only the local ideology, how can those who invent the local ideology be guided by any idea of good themselves? The The very idea of freedom presupposes some objective moral law which overarches rulers and ruled alike. Subjectivism about values is eternally incompatible with democracy. We and our rulers are of one kind only so long as we are subject to one law. But if there is no law of nature, the ethos of any society is the creation of its rulers, the creation of its educators, the creation of its conditioners, and every creator stands above and outside his own creation. Boy, there's a year of philosophy in that one. All right, folks, uh, Hugh Hallman, be with us. Coming right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 